Hello, everyone, and welcome to this week's episode of Forrester CX Cast. This is Sam Stern, joined in studio by my colleague, Jenny Wise. Hello, Jenny. Hello. And on the phone by our colleague, Andrew Hogan. Hi, Andrew. Hi, guys. And we are here to talk with you about personalization. Uh, your report called Pivot to Person First Personalization. I say it slow because there's lots of P's. Got three times fast. And they're popping on the microphone. But um, that's our excuse for talking about this topic. But I think it's a topic that um, many of our listeners would be interested in. Glad to have an excuse to talk about it. Thank you both for joining us. So let's start out. Maybe, Andrew, I'll throw this one to you to involve you since I'm looking at Jenny in the studio and not looking at you on the phone. What is this report all about? What we wanted to tackle is the issue of how do you actually create personalized experience that actually make customer experiences better. You know, what we found is that there's a lot of discussion about data and there's a lot of discussion about how hard it all is and all those other sort of things. We wanted to look at the best way for you to take what you as a business know about your customer, about their interactions, and actually change interfaces and interactions with a few key things that we identified in some research that we did. And define, what do you mean by personalization or personalized or personal in this context? And that's a great question. (laughs) And that was also something that Andrew and I spent a lot of time on in this research Mm. because personalization is such a buzzword today. Everyone is asking about personalization and how do I personalize? But it became clear through our conversations that that didn't mean the same thing to everyone. And for some, it didn't even mean anything specifically. Um, They were just asking about how to do it. So we came up with a definition, which is for a personalized experience. Yep. And it's an experience that uses customer data and understanding to frame, guide, extend, and enhance interactions based on that person's history, preference, context, and intent. Frame, guide, extend, enhance based on history and intent. And I probably missed another sort of key word in there. Yes, preferences, context. Um, But I'm glad that you're doing that because we carefully chose every single word in that definition. Right. right. So it's not just customer data. It's also customer understanding. Right. Right. So you have to know who is this user and what are they doing, putting the person into that effort. It's also not just a singular data point. It's history, preference, and intent. And it's being done for the objective of furthering that user's experience towards their goal or motivation. Right. Right. Okay. Yeah. Because I think we were talking off air just before jokingly about our names and, you know, if you get an email from a company and it says, hi, Jennifer, uh, that doesn't yeah. feel personalized to you. Where if it says, hi, Jenny, maybe it does. Right. And if Andrew got an email that said, hey, Andy, uh, where they're trying to be folksy, uh, he would be put off by that because that's not how he, that's not the name he goes by. So I think that's the first thing where we're using data, what we know, we know the name, but we're also using understanding how do you actually refer to yourself. Right. And you, your definition includes how does that actually further my goals or my intent by using my name in how you're contacting me, right? Exactly. Okay. So and that, I think, yeah, I think go one ahead, other Andrew. Thing, one other thing that's really important about the customer understanding there is that that allows you to have a better idea of what's probably happening sort of yeah. behind the scenes, how people are probably feeling based on where they are in their process and based on what you know about them. And that's the sort of thing that, you know, there's, there's all this research being done about how do we identify customer sentiment based on mouse movements or based on the, the tone of voice that they're using. And some of that stuff really works really well. But in other cases, you don't know and you've got to make some inferences. And unless you actually understand what's going on, you can, you know, do some pretty big missteps and and make some pretty large mistakes. Yeah. I like that framing of it. Probably no. 
right? It, it, it sort of suggests be, have some humility here about how much yeah. the data can tell you about what you absolutely know and what are good guesses or inferences about what the customer's intent is. Why personalized versus individualized or segmented or some other formulation? So I'm going to answer this because I have passionately uh, uh, shared my perspective with Ginny, and now I feel like I would <laughs> the, like to, to share good. it here. The passion <laughs> is still there and here it's coming still, through the phone. Still frustrated. I don't think we can let people get away with misusing the word personalized. Just because you changed a banner, just because you changed an offer, just because you said my name, I, I had to hold myself back when you were saying that uh, example, Sam, <laughs> doesn't make it personalized at all. And it's almost like, you know, by not talking about what a personalized experience actually is in a way that sort of like seeds that term and says, you know what, the people who just want to make, you know, programmatic decisions that flip offers in and out, that is some level of personalization, but they cannot call that a personalized experience. And interfaces need to actually change based on the behaviors that we're seeing and based on the data that we have and even the context that's sitting around us. There are tons of public APIs that can actually shift and change interfaces. Hmm. We just can't let that go because the term is being misused so much. I think we need to actually sort of point out, no, 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 that's not really a personalized experience and that's not really improving the customer experience overall. <laughs> Yeah, I, I think that's a really important point that you're raising there and, and you're passionately raising there, which is you know, per personalized experiences have been around for a long time as a concept without adding much value to the experience for the users, for the customers, right? So this is, you know, you're, you're, you're saying let's, let's focus on this more. Let's deliver on the promise implied by a personalized experience that we have so far largely and we, a collective we here of yes. people creating experiences, failed to deliver on. Yes. Okay, so a lot of failure. Let's not dwell. <laughs> Who's doing this well? There are some, you know, <laughs> the usual suspects that you can talk about, the lifts of the world. A car shows up. It's got a color that I have that I see on my app yeah. and an amp that, uh, that sits in the front of the lift. The car shows up to my place. I get a message right when it shows up. I jump in, and the view actually in the app changes as you get into the car. And even uh, if you look at the amps now on the front of the dash of the car, it'll actually say, hi, Andrew. And that's not a useless thing. That's actually designed to make sure that you're getting in the right mm. car. Major issue to get in the wrong one. What is the amp? The amp is what they call this uh, little electronic sort of LED screen that sits in the front of the car, and you can actually see it through the window. Oh. Some of the drivers have it, some of them don't, but it adds a whole other level of personalization, taking it out of the interface and into the car itself, but only facing in. So it's not like, you know, hi, Andrew is displayed to the whole world. I see. I see. So you get in the car, and then if the, if the driver has the amp, you see, hi, Andrew, and it's a, a, another reassurance that you have gotten into the right car. Right. And then all the other great things that Lyft does. And then one other interesting example I'd highlight, people always talk about Netflix. They published an interesting paper last year that's worth reading. It serves to try to quantify the value of their personalization and recommendation system, and they think it saves them more than a billion dollars a year. Wow. Um, so it's hard to say, oh, Netflix is doing a terrible job, even if maybe their recommendations kind of miss a little bit. Right. Yeah, that's that's interesting. I really like in the report as well the section where you have quotes as bullet yeah. points that sort of really get to where the personalization value is. But the fact that you're saying things like, I can simplify things for you, yeah. and if it can actually do that, 
deliver on that kind of promise, then we're talking about personalization that I actually care about, that isn't just using my name in different contexts. And Andrew, your example from Lyft is so, so important because that's where my name actually does add value to the experience because right. it's a confirmation. It is confirming that I have gotten into the right Hyundai Elantra or whatever the common you know, uh, Lyft car is in your area. That makes sense to me, the value adding personalization touch. Okay, so you, you sort of foreshadowed, Andrew, the next question, which when you said it's facing in your name, not facing out, because broadcasting to the world who the writer is in this car could be a violation or a concern about you, the customer, and your privacy. So how do you think about that, or how are companies thinking about that in terms of doing personalization well without violating too much customer privacy? Yeah, so that's a key question that we ran into in this research. Yeah. Um, because some people can walk away from thinking about personalized experiences and say, we all need to get to the, hi, Jenny, I know that you like <laughs> X, Y, and right. Z, uh, whereas I might not know who that company is. And that seems totally outlandish to me and in a violation of that right. you know, privacy expectation that I have. So what we did is we suggest there's sort of this gut check that you can do when you're creating a personalized experience to make sure that you're not in violation of that privacy. And so the first thing to do is to think of what is your relationship with that customer at an actual relationship level. So similar yeah. to how we put things into human terms, into how is the company helping the user, um, think about how am I understanding my relationship with this customer? Hmm. So how does this customer perceive our relationship? Yeah. How close do they think we are? What type of relationship do, we, do they think that we have? And do they expect me to help them in this situation? And if the answer is that the user expects you to be on a first name basis, um, it's a loyalty program. You know, right. I expect that this retailer knows what I like to buy, what size I like to buy in, that I want a size tall because I'm tall. Then it's okay for them to send me hyper-targeted messages. Right, right. If it is an ad that is getting this data on a third party, right. I could be a little freaked out. So maybe they want right. to tailor the communication to me based on my preferences, but they don't want to say my name or say that they know where my home address is. Yeah. So it's putting that in a in a relationship expectation of how your user perceives so that you know mm. that you're not in violation. Yeah. Um, so also continuing on that car example, you gave your name, right? Right. To that, to that company, they're picking you up. It's okay that they know your name and they're showing it to you in a way that's safe. If I were to walk into a stadium and they've used location to know that I walk in, I don't expect them to broadcast, you know, yeah. welcome Jenny to the stadium right. for everyone to see and everyone who might be strangers. Right, right. right? That's a, a different type of context and privacy expectation. Yeah, or, you know, if like if Lyft had had, for, for whatever reason, was had a, you know, a social graph of everyone getting into cars and said that Jenny just boarded a lift in Boston, you know, that, that would yeah. be a violation, I think, of, of your privacy that you hadn't yeah. agreed to. Right, of how you expect them to, to use the data, to share the data. That's right. Um, and also just privacy and safety concerns as well. For sure. Right? Yeah, and, Jenny's and leaving I, her home. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, think, uh, I think one of the interesting things that Jenny and I heard is, is a number of companies saying, we're not even going to try to personalize for people that don't want to have a relationship with us. And yeah. I'm sure they were changing some content you know, around, but they weren't spending very much effort on that. But for the people who wanted to you know, have a relationship with that company, who you know, were interested in giving their information to the company so that the experience could change, they were going to try really hard to make it a personalized experience because they felt like they had to do that based on the agreement that they'd sort of come to with that customer. And that's a really interesting 
hmm. evolution from let's just personalize everything just because we can to we're going to do a really good job with a smaller number of people. Yeah, I love that too as, as potentially a metric where you say we have earned the right to personalize the experience for this many of our customers or this percentage of our customer base. And we're going to be really serious about getting yeah. to a point where we feel like we, you know, we feel confident that they would uh, appreciate personalization. We want to get more people to let us personalize the experience for them, but we're only going to do it when we reach this threshold with them. And we'll take that as a sign that we've got more of our customers in engaged sort of active relationships with us. Yeah, yeah, that is. That's a metric for that relationship. Well, thank you. Thank you both for joining us physically in the studio, Jenny, and virtually on the phone, Andrew. I appreciate it. Listeners, the report is called Pivot to Person First Personalization. Uh, really interesting examples, lots of great graphics in here, lots of detail and grit about how you do this well without violating your customers' privacy or making them feel weird about their relationship with you. So I would encourage you to check it out. And thank you all for joining us on this week's CX Cast. We'll talk to you next week. Bye for now. Thanks for listening. Remember, your customer's perception is your customer experience reality. <laughs>